And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, September 29th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you, or Mike and Sully, if you are following <laughs> a popular uh, tweet that's been bouncing around the internet for the last 24 hours or so. Somebody put a tweet out there that was, I think every podcast duo are just these guys. And it was a picture of the Sully and Mike from Monsters, Inc. And I think it was determined by one of our listeners that I am uh, Mike, the, the guy, the green guy with one eye because of my bright, <laughs> shiny forehead, thanks to my light being in the wrong position, which is so flattering, but uh, probably deserved. <laughs> totally deserved. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm the big monster then. Right. And he has the all-time scare record, the too. doofy. <laughs> and he's got the cool fur, right? The blue and green, teal, purple. I don't know. It's a lot of fun colors. Maybe I should go for him for Halloween. Go as him for That'd be pretty good. Yeah. So. Make one of my kids dress up as... <laughs> Yeah, one of your kids would probably want to be the the other one, or or if if they refuse, you know, you, I I can I can step up, I can contribute. <laughs> I, I like Halloween; it's a fun. The fun size, day. the proportions are wrong. <laughs> yes, that's the, it works better with one of my kids. <laughs> uh, do you have a, a best Halloween costume that you ever had? One that you're particularly proud oh, of? Yeah, my best ever uh, was in tandem with my wife. Uh, I was Kenny when I had my long hair. <laughs> I've seen the pictures of this. This is incredible. And all I had to do other than I didn't like for the hair wise, instead of parting in the middle, I just had to part it like Kenny G and I look almost exactly like him. You said to get an old shirt from the nineties. Yeah. I had to get like a mock turtleneck or something. Mm -hmm. And like, um, and I got, and I made like a, uh, he, I forget what the name of his instrument is. That's a saxophone. Um, I believe. No. Kenny G plays a saxophone, but he also plays like a, like a, a straight one. That's like a it's like a straight flute. It's like a it's like Is that a tin whistle? No, 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 no. Like a like an oboe or something. It's like a <laughs> it's like a clarinet or something. It's like a one of those mouth instruments. I don't think it was a sax. Yeah, well <laughs> that's the main one he plays, but he plays other stuff apparently. Clearly I'm not a big Kenny G fan. I was singing the like the the, the seminal song, the do 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 and I had I had the I made the instrument from that song and my wife dressed up as Jackie O and we were the OGs so you did like a pun you you did a mashup pun tandem costume that doesn't I mean there's no there's no overlap for them otherwise yeah, uh, no, no, but it was still fun. Like when we, so we were in New York at the time. We went to a Fisher Fu Spooner concert, and they have like great like Halloween con uh, concerts. And in the train on the way in, uh, my section of the train was going Kenny G, 
Kenny G. And uh, in the bathroom at the Fisher Pursuers concert, this guy basically peed himself looking at me next to me in the stall, which is a little bit awkward. It's a little extreme. I have, have to admit, a little bit awkward. But uh, even though I didn't win, um, it was a competition between the Gates. Do you remember the Gates? It was an art ed- installation in New York at the time. The orange, the guy who does like, he like c- covers things in paper or covers things in, in you know, you know that guy? Mm-hmm. Cristo, I think his name is. Um, he had done a thing in New York where it was just these big orange gates. And someone went as a big orange gate. Um, it was very of the time, I guess. And then the, uh, I think the guy who won was the sweep the leg Johnny guy. <laughs> and he, it, he looked really, I mean, he really looked like that he guy. He got it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just really looked like him. So uh, they didn't pick me to go on stage. But when somebody peed himself uh, in the bathroom, I felt like, you know. Honorable mention. I did okay today. The honorable mention. <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think my best, I don't have anything that was that creative, but there was one year. Halloween is a big deal in Madison uh, on campus. It's one of the many, many excuses at the university for people to drink way too much. But they have a big (laughs) block party uh, on State Street, and that's turned into some concerts in recent years. Anyway, so one year as an undergrad, I really half-assed getting a costume, and I went to, I don't know, Party City or whatever the supply store was that had the stuff. Too late. I went the morning of Halloween, (laughs) and I walked into the back corner of the store where the clearance stuff was. I was really, really (laughs) half-assing this, and they had a SpongeBob SquarePants costume which was actually a pretty good pull. This was like 2004, 2005. So Uh SpongeBob still very relevant back then. Probably will always be relevant in some way. It was a children's large, if I remember correctly. (laughs) And it was like this, you know, foam sponge with full SpongeBob on it. Barely didn't fit. It didn't fit. It was about 15 bucks. I thought that's a steal $15. I could wear this SpongeBob for multiple <laughs> years. So I bought it and I brought it home and I realized my, my arms weren't even going to fit through the armholes. So I had to, I had to rip the armholes bigger, which I've never had to do in my life. Cause I do not have massive arms. You've seen me in person. I have normal Pythons. skinny arms. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it turned out okay actually, because one, Everybody was wasted, so no one really right. noticed how awkwardly it fit. And by the time I got out at 10, 11 o'clock, it was more just like, hey, SpongeBob. Everyone loved it. The costume was destroyed because I thought I could use it as an actual sponge while wearing it. I was trying to clean up <laughs> from the party we were having, so I was just kind of like rolling around like we had a... Uh, beer pong table so there's water and beer spilled all over it and i just thought no problem guys i got this and i kind of did like this rolling maneuver to soak it all up which worked really Oops. well in in the moment now in the moment i thought i was a genius <laughs> i you know found the costume the next day and realized whoa that's garbage now but <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time. I got probably $15 worth of cleaning supplies out of the costume and you know a lot of high fives and laughs along the way, which to me, it, if you're measuring success with a Halloween costume, that ticks pretty much all the boxes. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I guess my second place was uh, Bob Ross, where I throwed my hair out and, uh, and just had like a little palette and was like, I kept talking about, uh, he's always talking about bushes. Happy little bushes. Right. And there's a few colors on the palette that are very distinct Bob Ross Bob colors. Ross color. 
but he would he always they, they were happy or they were sad or like he would he would like always anthropomorph anthropomorphize his his bushes and his trees so yeah well hey all right so I kept talking about that I, I mean i think i lack features that make it easy for me to be a distinct famous person as a costume <laughs> on my own the the best i can do the famous person that people say i look like once in a while is i'll get a tony romo if i'm wearing a backwards hat so you have to kind of cut off my hairline i hurt my hair is not totally different than his but it's it, it's not his so if I throw on a backwards hat, it's oh, that's that's Tony Romo on the sidelines. That's what he looks like. So, well, I can, you can probably get there cheap to get a little Romo jersey, and, get a jersey and, and, and the white ba- white backwards uh, hat. Yep, a white backwards hat, and you and you and you're done. <laughs> so maybe now that he's you know prominent broadcaster too, I could just throw on a suit instead and just get really excited about plays that aren't happening. I have to, I have to get my voice to be a little hoarse though, and then I can. Yeah. Get that out there. So, all right, Halloween solved. I know that's not the first eight minutes of the pod everyone was hoping for going into the weekend. Oh, but oh, well, it's it's only going to get better from here. We're going to talk about. Well, what do you want to talk about? Our fantasy teams. Nobody cares about your fantasy teams, dude. Well, we're trying to learn things from our teams. <laughs> yeah. So, if you if you'd like the floor first, you are having a great season in AL labor. What? Can you tell us about it that will actually help us? You can brag as much as you want along the way. That oh, is fine. Just a, I just, it's beautiful because I'm two saves, three saves now from having 117 out of 120 possible points. And it's been such a long time coming that, and this is the record by like sort of six. I think Ian Khan set the record last year with 110. Uh, so this is the record by uh, by six or seven. We'll see at the end of the year, and I feel great about that because it took so long to get here, and now maybe I'll have something I can hold on to for a while. Um, and when you do something like this, of course, it's twelves across the board. Uh, but the thing that had been hurting me in the past. Um, was that I always just sort of depended on my knowledge of the pitching pool uh, to come up with pitchers, and um, and I always did really well in hitting with uh, hewing close to my projections. Uh, this year, um, I, I I did put a little bit more money into pitching, um, and I also f- maybe figured out how to use my model the most correctly. And the thing that I like about what I did on the pitching side was instead of buying one $30 Garrett Cole or Shane Bieber, which, you know, that probably Shane, both of those guys returned a good value. I wanted to have three really good pitchers and I wanted to spend an average of 15 bucks for uh, on my top three guys. Um, and or maybe a little bit s- south of that. But uh, in the end, I got Jose Barrios, Dylan Cease, and Shane McClanahan. Um, and the combined expenditure was below $45, I think. So, um, you know, that's uh, a good trio. Jose Barrios did not have a good year. But Dylan Cease and Shane McClanahan had, had such outstanding years uh, that they really powered uh, this. And I really think that that is something I can take away, which is, the model is really good at looking at short sample pitchers and knowing how good they are. And so therefore, you know, buying high on some short sample guys um, is a good move. Like like a Spencer Strider next year, like buying him as a number two uh, next year Ooh, would be, be similar. 
Wouldn't that be similar to like buying Shane McClanahan this year as a two? Or similar, as a, yeah, I as a two. think. I I wonder. Not exactly in terms of what kind of pitchers they are. But. No, no, but in terms of the track record, in the excitement about ceiling. Yeah. How much pitching plus loves them, you know. Innings workloads, I think, are pretty comparable. McClanahan won twenty three and a third last year as a rookie, but Strider's results were better. So Strider's gonna carry more of a premium. Higher strikeout rate, better ratios. So you think he'll go as a number one? He's not going to go as a number one. Yes, I think Spencer Strider. I think Spencer Strider is going to be treated as a number one starter. I was working on the 2023 rankings a little bit. They are not even close to being ready, of course. But in the actually have them right next to each other. I have Strider next to McClanahan, and I was trying to have a cage match to figure out which one I would actually take at seven seven overall among pitchers. Okay, so then uh, give me a mulligan. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's okay. It's not. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm in order of finding the next season, McClanahan. Um, give me Hunter Green. That would be fair because I don't think he'll be treated as uh, any in a in a mono league context. Fifteen bucks seems like a a cap, like a ceiling. Okay, Hunter Green and Hunter Green. I think was the is the Dylan Cease. Okay, that seems and... that seems very doable. Uh, I'm scrolling down in Stuff Plus. I'll find Shane. There's Shane himself. We had a little bit of Tristan McKenzie talk in our, our last episode. I, th- I mean, Nick Lodolo. Lodolo could be in there for NL, yeah. Yeah. Um, guys that like I might go the extra buck to to get to like 12, 13, 14, right? And, and really just uh, like believe a short sample uh, season. Um, Here's one. How about John Gray? Because he's not young and exciting, but it's 116 in innings, I think, is where he was at. 364 ERA, 111 whip. Change over the course of the season mm-hmm. where his slider changed shape. Uh, that's a decent one. It's not not exactly the same thing. but Or even um, Drew Rasmussen, a guy that you've liked for a long time. Yeah. It's not doing it for 180, but is pitching really well over nearly a full season's worth of innings. You know, I don't know if I've got... It all lined up exactly to be the same way. I doubt I'll have 117 points in labor next year. Um, oh, Aaron Ashby, another guy that Stuff Plus loves him. Didn't have great results. The locations are below average, but not bad. Uh, could totally take a Dylan Cease like jump next year. So uh, that I think was good. Also, uh, this is a uh, this this team is a real uh, champion of how good pitching plus is for relievers because um, the relievers I so one of the tricks I pulled on this one was um, they took free agents out of the pool because of the lockout. So the top free agents were out of the pool. I uh, I spent like. I don't know. I think it was like $72 on Anthony Rizzo out of my free agency out of a hundred dollars. Um, and that really worked out, uh, of course, but it also left me $28. I, I basically remember I had a little bit more than $1 per week. It's not a lot for a full season. And so I came out of the auction because, uh, pitching plus is so solid. Uh, I came out of the auction with Jordan Romano as the third or fourth best, like most expensive reliever. Um, and I think I got him for like 18, 19 bucks, which I love. 18, 19 bucks is where I love to buy closers. 
Um, I know it doesn't line up with the value on the value sheet, but that just means that I got like the third or fourth best closer. And it's really been working out with me, especially while using Stuff Plus. But I came out of the out of the auction with Jordan Romano for 19. Um, and uh, uh, Tyler Wells and Tanner Scott for a dollar each. Uh, those are just model likes, you know, and I got more than a dollar out of Tyler Wells and I got more than a dollar out of Tanner Scott because I ended up eventually dropped him because I was doing so well that I didn't want the say I didn't want the bad whip in ERA uh, and I knew nobody could pick him up and get his saves. So I got like, you know, 10 ish saves out of him and was like, man, this ERA is not going to be good. I don't think so. I just let him go. Um, but I also then picked up uh, Schreiber and I picked up Jorge Lopez in my first free agency period for $1. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, because Pitching Plus said, this is going to be a good reliever. You know, he's going to be a good reliever. So I picked up him and Dylan Tate for a buck each and eventually drop Tate. But so I think, uh, you know, what I like is getting one really good reliever that uh, is not the most expensive reliever. So I still like that idea. And then uh, supplementing it with relievers that the model really likes. I think that has been a, a good approach for me this year. I think one of the tough things about thinking this way, this is a good way to think about how to build a roster is you still need to have the pivots you still need to have the what if this happens because that group of closers you trust that will go in that range is actually still a pretty small group and it might happen where other people trying to execute the same strategy in the moment push the extra couple dollars onto those players that you have in the 16 to 19 range and they go 20 to 23 and you run through that problem where you say okay the first guy i'm not going to pay 20 21 second guy goes for the same and then the third one's the last one and if you don't decide in the moment or if you don't like the third one as much as the first two you don't get that piece that you want then you have to decide okay what's the other thing i can do if my my first plan doesn't work i think that's to me it's a really important part of the the planning process it really is and even though among starting pitchers i liked so i I got i have the numbers down in front of me shane for 15 cease for 18 barrios for 22 so it was a little bit more than 45 but uh i do still like spending at that level for starting pitchers because those are those are they're gonna pitch you know that it's not there's aren't there's not the risk that they get sent back down you know what i mean those are guys are gonna pitch um with relievers the mid-range is awful i really do think it's awful you know what I mean? Like buying an $8 closer in AL only. Oh, yeah. Mark Melanson was awesome for me this year. Right? That's is Was that kind of like an $8 NL only closer? It was my, I have to go cheap on saves because I spent too much on other stuff in my biggest <laughs> auction. And, oh, it'll be fine because they'll just let him get 30 saves even though he's not good anymore. It's like, no, no. That, the Mark Melanson problem I experienced this year is the... It's kind of like what I described with Merrifield back during draft season where I said in previous years, I didn't believe and I didn't believe and I didn't believe and I was wrong. I took L's in like three consecutive seasons on Whit Merrifield. So then this year I decided maybe I'm just wrong about Whit Merrifield. I like him now. Shocker. I warned everyone. I'm in on Merrifield now, so it's probably going to stop working. It stopped working. So four <laughs> L's. I changed sides and still lost again. In year four on Whit Merrifield. Hey, sometimes you just got to stick to your guns, dude. I know. But in the moment when I was scrambling for saves, I just, I told myself that story. Well, they brought him in because they needed an established closer and they have a lot of uncertainty in that bullpen. 
No, they brought him in at a low price because nobody else in the league thought he was good enough to help their bullpen. That's what happened. That's the truth. Accept it. Like, I just, oh, so I, I will not stop being mad about that until the end of next season when I have a chance to right my wrongs. It's going to take me so long to get over that. I mean, the major league teams get it wrong sometimes, but, you know, their their free agency price is actually a pretty good sense of, like, how valued they are by the league. If they <laughs> confirm something that you yourself already thought, already you thought. should probably <laughs> not push back against that. There's other things to push back against. Plenty of things to go your own way on. That was a time to stick to your own beliefs because they've been supported by what the market did. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I should give some love. Somebody pointed out that I did give a bold prediction for Nate Lowe for 30 homers and made sure I bought him in AL Labor um, and have profited off of my $14 Nate Lowe. He didn't, he's not going to make it to the 30 homers, but especially in AL only, a 305 average uh, with 25 homers and 75 RBI by the end of the season, he'll have 75. Um, I think that's uh, that was a, a good buy. And what I like about Nate Lowe is. Again, it's not um, it's not buying Bobby. What's another? What what's a, a young guy that didn't even really register that people were buying early in the season? Was there anybody Torkelson? Yeah, it's not buying Torkelson where there's just no track record and you're just hoping. It's uh, it's buying someone who has some track record and thinking they might take a step forward and thinking that the job is pretty much there for them. You know, so I like having a good floor with like a little bit of ceiling above that. That's what I bought. Uh, that's why I bought Nate Lowe for 14, Hunter Dozier for nine. That's not very exciting, but you know, he played all year 12 homers, four steals. You know, uh, Stephen Kwan in reserve, uh, Josh Naylor for a dollar, uh, Brandon Marsh for seven. None of these guys, you know, especially if you play like a 12 team, you're like, Ugh, why are you listing these guys? You know, uh, but uh, in AL only, they all play, they all got more than 400 ABs. Um, and uh, they all, you know, contributed double digit homers and steals. And so that's that was a big part of it. The last part I want to say off this team is Jose Altuve was my second baseman. And uh, that just fits into what we've been saying about how elite players have slightly different aging curves. Uh, and uh, that, you know, there is some value to be had. Jose Altuve for 25 bucks uh, means that I bought him basically like a third rounder in ale only uh, and he gave me 28 homers and 18 steals the 297 average so that's your paul goldschmidt you know from previous episodes yeah 
that was my that was my Paul Goldschmidt uh, of the of the year. So the Paul Goldschmidt Award goes to Jose Altuve. Yeah. So in past years, I've been more aggressive about having at least one star and sometimes even two in deep leagues. I'll spend thirty plus on multiple players. You know, two position players and an ace. And you then do that more than me. I, you do that more than me. You go higher. I've historically and, yeah, done that more stars and scrubs. a lot. And I backed off it a little bit this year and I did. But you've won using that approach. I've won, I've won playing that way. And I think my range of outcomes was wider playing that way. I, I think I could mm. also finish eighth a lot easier. If you ain't first, you're last. I think so. I think that was the way I, I played it for a long time. <laughs> but I still, my my thinking is that there's probably diminishing returns on stars and scrubs. If more people play that way, you're you're fighting mm. for the same players. So then the top end gets pushed up even higher, and you all want the same and, two dollar. And players. you've all identified the end game players you like, so it just becomes trickier to play at both ends of the pool at a certain point when the room shifts enough that way. And I've I've seen enough of the leagues. I mean, I think mixed out the fifteen team auction is probably the first of the leagues I play in where it was clear that people largely we're trying to execute the same game plan i wanted to execute and i got away from it this year to the most extreme degree there and it worked that looks like probably the team that is all around the most successful to a couple trades to balance it out because i went so heavy with bats and pretty light with arms but all of that is to say like i i think you need to be able you need to be willing to play to what is happening in the room when you're playing in an auction setting I did a little bit of that here where I missed out on Jose Ramirez um, and I probably should have gone the extra dollar. And so I did make a mistake on this team. I bought Kyle Tucker for 38, which is really pushing, uh, you know, that made him like the second or third most like, expensive player in the pool. But what happened was I saw after Kyle Tucker, oh man, uh, if I don't get Kyle Tucker, my number one player is going to be Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert. And I was just like, I just see more risk there. Kyle Tucker is just it seems like a high floor guy that could go 30-30 this year. He's going to be short of it, 29 homers, 25 steals. He's probably not going to be the you know top three uh, player in AL only. Uh, but it shows you can still make a mistake but make the right move in a way. You know what I mean? Because I was just reading the room and I was like, I want one of those top players. I've played the middle too much and ended up third in this league. I don't want third. You know, so I went to 38 on Kyle Tucker and felt really weird about it afterwards. Uh, but you know, he's part of this team. You know, he's he did a good job. I don't know if he could return me 38 bucks, but I'm happy with it. Well, the shape of the player pool and uh, other variables are important too. And this isn't unique to auctions. I think if you're in a, a snake draft and depending on your draft position, especially if you're near one of the ends, a lot can change with the board between turns and everything you do. If you're, if you're trying to have a balanced team in a rotisserie league, everything you end up doing needs to get you to your targets in the end. And the cost of early closers might be established hitters or, or upper end starting pitchers. Or There's always a cost to the decision that you make. So uh, I, I'm looking at, you know, on the on the flip side, right, your, your AL labor team is kind of a, hey, I did this. This worked really well. I'm going to try and do most of these things again, you know, situations allowing me to do them again. My TGFBI team was an exercise in how much of this do I want to avoid in the future? <laughs> you know, like how many things? How many things should I be doing differently compared to this particular build? I'll see if I can get the the draft on the screen. Eh, it's a little tiny if you're watching us on YouTube, but it's it's doable. Um, 
curious if you can look at that grid and if you could tell me which of those teams you think belongs to me. You you, you seem like you did poorly, but um, I'm not going to give you the Tatis team. I, I think that would be a hard one to take a bunch of uh, lessons away from. I think it's um, some, well, there's there's a little bit of a, a giveaway, but. Oh, is it is it is it um, injury like starters? Is it oh is it the Tatis team with Freddie Peralta? It is not. Oh, uh, I don't think you would have taken Hendricks as your first starting pitcher. I would not. Um, is it the uh, Harper one with Ray as your first starting pitcher? Nope. So you didn't wait on. Oh no, it's the Mookie Betts one with Romano as your first pitcher. It's not that that team actually I think was pretty good this year i mean that's bets alvarez i just thought maybe it was because you waited too long on pitching Nah, so i I had team five on the screen i started with juan soto started i started safe i took the safe player at five i was happy Mm -hmm. jumping up and down when juan soto made it to me there walker bueller in the second there were some caution signs on the skills front with bueller but he he broke so that didn't help hater in the third that was the early early closer yeah just didn't do what i expected him to do Olsen was fine in the fourth. Springer in the fifth. That was probably fine. Jonathan India hurt in the sixth. Jack Flaherty in the seventh hurt. Ooh, as your second starting pitcher. You're, both your top two pitchers broke. I should have seen that. Trent Grisham in the eighth. Mm. That's just a bad choice. Gleiber in the ninth. He's been okay, but I don't know. Like That didn't turn out quite the way I expected it to. Blake Trinan in the tenth. I mean, he got hurt. Well, he didn't get hurt until after they traded for Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell's what mm-hmm. ruined his value. So that pick ended up being a waste. Brian Hayes hasn't hit for power, so that didn't work. Yeah. Severino, fine. That was a good pick. Sonny Gray, 13th round. That's fine. Lux in the 14th. Not a, He had a good year, but that pick should have been not used for something else. Here. Conforto. Conforto oof. wouldn't even play. Vasquez, is, oh, Vasquez Murphy, actually, that's the one part I like. Good job on the catchers. Yeah. yeah, good job on cheap catching. <laughs> I've been staring at this team a few times. and I think maybe you should have invested more in starting pitching. Probably, because I only had two starting pitchers. Let's say you've taken Bueller, and then you've taken somebody ahead of Flaherty. Even if Bueller breaks, then the second guy could have been your ace. Yeah, I got really fixated on those hitter values in rounds four through six, probably because I took Hater in the third. And everybody else was taking relievers in four through six. Yep. So I pushed for the best of the best reliever on my board at the highest possible price. It backfired. But sometimes you can look at like, oh, there's so much value on these hitters in four through six. Well, maybe I should take something else and let that value sit out there and, and get and, and let it sit some longer. And there's still a bunch of value. That means the next round, I'll still get more value. I still get somebody that's good. So I like to think that if Justin Verlander was, were still there in the eighth, I would have taken a third starting pitcher instead of Trent Grisham. But mm-hmm. I also had a shot at Carlos Rodon and Shane McClanahan with that pick and didn't do it. So oh. that's the killer. The, 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 the pick that could have at least made this team that would have made it a top five better. team in the league, McClanahan for Grisham would be a pretty big swap. Because hmm. you can't, I mean, injuries happen. I think we talked about Jack Flaherty earlier this season. Maybe that was poorly assessing the injury risk that he brought and being willing to take on a starter in a spot where, frankly, I needed someone who didn't bring those concerns. Maybe, maybe that, maybe, I mean, you Darvish would have been a great pick there. Darvish went a few picks later. That could have worked. So mm-hmm. part of retracing my steps here is, is the closer thing up the, at the very top, early round three. 
how much of that was kind of random bad luck and how much of that was self-imposed because you did this because you went starter reliever in two and three now you're locked in on hitting values four through six and because of that you ended up a little bit light with starting pitching depth maybe maybe some maybe there's a small tweak there maybe there's a wholesale change there but i've i've been hesitant to want to go into next season targeting the elite of the elite relievers in snake drafts because of how early they were going at the end of 2022 here's what happens when you don't do that when you don't target an elite reliever in the snake drafts uh i'm second in my main um and I'm not saying this is a cautionary tale or anything, but um, because second and main, the main is main events are very hard. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I ended up sixth in saves. So I found my way to 55 saves. Uh, gosh, I wish I had gotten 10 more. That would made me third. 10 more saves. Um, and this is how my draft started Tucker, Machado, Real Muto. Uh-oh. Eno doesn't have a starting pitcher. Really good core, though. Already really nervous. Please, Zach Wheeler. Please, Zach Wheeler. Drop to me. Drop to me. Drop to me. We'd just gotten news that Zach Wheeler had thrown a bullpen and was, and was like, on track to maybe miss one start. Zach Wheeler in the fourth. All right. But Zach Wheeler, that's the late ace. Joe Musgrove in the fifth. Now, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to, I want to keep that nervousness with me next year. I want to, even if I take a first pitcher in the top three rounds, I still want to be nervous about pitching. I want to manufacture nervousness about starting pitching next year. So that even if I get the guy I wanted to to fall to me, I don't say, oh, well, I got Zach Wheeler. I can wait a couple rounds for my next pitcher. Nah, you know what? My right rankings say just Joe Musgrove's a top 12 pitcher. Let's get him in here too. So that was really, really important. This is one of my few NFBC leagues where I'm not short on Ks. I've streamed in all of them and tried to get two started pitching in all of them all year. Been trying to work on Ks. And a lot of those leagues, I'm low on Ks. This one, I'm not because I took two top pitchers. I mean, it makes total sense when you think of it that way. It's like, oh yeah, duh. You invested in it and you did well in it. Uh, So that part was good. However, you notice I have not mentioned a reliever yet. So when I took Musgrove, I was like, you know who's left on the board? Romano. I think it was, I think it was, that was the Musgrove pick. I was Romano and Gallegos are on the board. I don't really want Gallegos. I do want Romano, but I want Musgrove more. So I took, I took the leap of faith that if I take Musgrove, one of those two will be available. Worst case, I get Gallegos. Romano, Gallegos, go. And I and I think they were even second relievers for some of those guys. So that's why I thought maybe they'll make them back around the turn. So now I'm just totally depressed. I go Jonathan India, blah, Christian Yellick, all right. Dansby Swanson, yeah, he put together a pretty good season. So I'm depressed that I didn't get one of my top guys and I've just let some other relievers go because I'm just like, whatever. I don't care about Roldis Chapman. That might have been okay, but my number one reliever was David Bednar. No, mm. it was going well until he got hurt. Yeah, and he, he was pretty good, but uh, because because I was then was like, well, David Bednar's not enough, and I got I got so then I had to invest some more uh, and pushed Gregory Soto. Now Gregory Soto did okay for me too, um, but I came out of the draft with my relievers were David Bednar, Gregory Soto, and. 
I thought I brought I got bought Tyler Wells and Tyler Rogers at the end as uh, some shots at it. But you got two clear Isn't closers. Isn't kind of crazy that I ended up still sixth in saves? The threshold for saves seemed a little bit lower again this year. So I don't think it's a big argument for me to be like, oh, I need a closer in the second or third. But I do need a closer before the eighth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, right. Again, numbers between, you know, three and eight, consider them. Exist. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the part. So there's so many strategies where like, I'm doing this. Like, well, you could do just a little less than that, and that might work really well. <laughs> you could do a little bit less than that. I want three aces in the first three rounds. Like, try two. Two, two would be good. You'd you have great. a pretty good hitter if you did that. Just think about two as an option. It's there. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I've done this much more in the past where I'm like, I, this is my strategy and I will execute my strategy because it's important to have a game plan and it's more important to execute mm. that game plan. It's like, no, have multiple game plans and be capable of executing each of those because the one you want probably isn't going to happen exactly the way you want other people in the room know what they're doing yeah i think you're right i think i think that is the root cause of the of coming up short in this main because my general strategy was wait on pitching trust your model still invest you know still get wheeler and musgrove in the top five rounds but but wait on pitching trust your model and i i waited just a little bit long i'd, I'd wonder if if I wonder how much better this team would have been if I let Musgrove go, he gets back to me, and I go Romano-Musgrove. Wheeler-Romano-Musgrove means I don't take India. means Gliber Torres is probably my second baseman. So, okay. He's healthy, at least. So if you take take that route, let's just say Musgrove does go, but you ended up with Romano instead, that's still a net positive because more likely than not, with your strength as a player, you're finding someone similar to Musgrove later on. Oh, and what I want to know now is where I took Musgrove, what is the next pitcher I would have taken if I if I let him go? Okay, so uh, Romano goes around the turn. I remembered correctly. Uh, so uh, if, I, if Musgrove had gone then, um, my, my next pick, so after that, so then I have to look for who's available after I go. Uh, I take Romano instead of Musgrove, and then Musgrove goes. Um, <clears throat> Barrios, I might have ended up with Barrios. See? Okay. So that could have been, so that would have a, been a different path Romano, to the same, would same ceiling. <laughs> yeah. uh, if I had been lucky and the Rodone guy got him, I might have gone uh, Romano Rodone. Hmm. <laughs> but I think also if you look at if you say I've got there's two closers left in the pool that I that I like a little bit and I like one way better than the other and there's now like eight picks before I pick again take Romano yeah take the play if there's a big drop off with the closers take and there's even the worse of a drop off after Gallegos where you're just like I don't even want the guy after Gallegos and I want Romano way more than Gallegos then take Romano I think that's the right way to play, but I also think people, more people playing that way is what keeps pushing prices higher and higher on closers. Mm-hmm. Keeps inflating even more than what we've seen. So, but you got to play in the pool you're given, you know. Yeah, that's if you if you play in this uh, 
this vacuum of value where uh, I, I just I can't. It, it's an eighteen dollar player. It's round it's round four. I can't take an eighteen dollar closer here because there's a twenty three dollar hitter. So I'm taking the twenty three dollar hitter. Well, guess what? Now you're gonna have a six dollar reliever that you took. Now in David Bednar round. is your number one reliever. <laughs> and 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 everyone thought I reached on Bednar. So. You're going to reach at some point, right? <laughs> I guess then the the devil's advocate argument would be, well, do you want to reach in rounds three, four, or five? Or would you rather just reach in like round eight, nine, or ten? Nine, nine. yeah. Because the cost of missing in eight, that, nine, or ten. That was exactly my thinking. But but Romano in round five, is not is that a one-round reach? And Bednar in round nine might have been like a three-round reach. Compared to compared to what, though? Part of our, our value constructs are are like universal and then you're in one draft and we're talking about nfbc and main event leagues that are a smaller portion of that compared to a broader universe even the whole universe else. of unit nfbc yeah 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 and even within nfbc main is like its own little subculture. then there's late march versus beginning of draft yeah. season like there's all those wrinkles it's just you know i we i don't think we identify quickly enough how much the the micro market, I guess we'll call it, is just different. Best, the best players get it. But for less experienced players trying to play in these events, and I, I think I qualify as a less experienced player in this particular field, that's a tough lesson to learn. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One also one other thing that is interesting in these leagues is a uh, in my main I, that ended up second. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Joey Votto in the tenth. Uh, we're talking about sort of the Bednar Soto thing. Um, Marcus Stroman in the twelfth is all right. I think he actually made it all the way through the rest of the season. Uh, but then um, you know, uh, oh okay, so these are not that many mistakes. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, well, Luis Patino. Uh, I went on a string of Luis Patino. Mike Yastrzemski, Max Sassi, Cesar Hernandez, uh, Mike Moustakis, uh, Luke Weaver, Reaver San Martin. Don't stress that much about rounds like 20 to 30. 
You know, take guys that have a great amount of ceiling and will tell you something early in the season and drop them quickly. Because rounds 20 to 30, not very many of them make it to with you to the end of the season. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. I'm laughing a little bit because on the, the TGFBI team I was just talking about a few minutes ago, my 20th round pick, Julio Rodriguez. Oh, but he didn't make it with you. I mean, he made it. He was on my team. Oh, no, he, he did. Fired. Yeah, yeah, he's on the but team. I was laughing yeah, because he made the, the team right was such season. a disaster. It's like... But you, you made that one you, great pick. You crushed it in the 20th round. You, you survived catchers. <laughs> you did uh, 12% of the things right that you need to do to have a good competitive team. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so well, that's uh, terrific. Look at this. Look at the bottom of this roster working from the bottom. Adrian Hauser must have been streaming. Uh, that's the only explanation. AJ Puck, Reaver San Martin, Kested Hira, Josh Lowe, Nick Senzel, Anthony Bender, Mike Moustakis, Kyle Lewis. Did any of those guys play this year? But don't, yeah, but don't beat yourself up over those. But those are, those are those free just, kicks at the can those are, to do yeah. well, to find players that you, you identified. Did miss, I mean, you did miss the kicks, but I missed but. <laughs> all over on the bottom of this team. Usually I hit in the but bottom. But you got Julio Rodriguez in that group. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but here's a beginning that I really like. Ended up second in TGFBI um, in my league, and I went Betts, Woodruff, Simeon, Goldschmidt, Musgrove, Romano. That's a really That's good start. That's what I want to try it. That's how I want to start again. I want to get one starting pitcher in the top three. I like the old uh, the old first baseman who drops. I love that I doubled up on the pitching and got Musgrove and Woodruff. I love that I got Romano. Uh, my mistakes there were more in the middle rounds, I guess, or maybe in management or whatever. It, how much do you beat yourself up over a second place finish? You know, I don't know. So before we started recording, I, I was throwing this at you from a, a long-term league perspective too, because in... In XFL, it's a 15-team keeper league, very tough league. It's been around for a while, and I've been in the league. I think this is my fifth season I've been a part of it, and it's been a little bit of a, a rebuild. And this year, back in mid-May, I, I looked at my team, and I looked at the other teams in the league, and I thought it was good enough to make a run. So I made a bunch of trades, traded some young players, traded away some draft picks, tried to make a run for this year, and I'm going to finish no closer than... 10 points out of first. Like, it's just not, it's, I, I was never close enough in the second half to actually make more trades. But if I finish second, which is possible, one point between me and second place right now, that seems like a pretty good year. I mean, this league is, this is an industry league where there's no, no money attached. But think about a, a typical league where second place gives you a few hundred bucks usually. That's good. You'd feel really good about that. And I think in keeper leagues, we have the flags fly forever. If you you mortgage your future in some way to play for now, either at the win or it was a disappointment. And I'm not sure that's entirely true because, again, there, there are 14 other people in this league that are all trying just as hard as I am to win in the long run. So it's not easy to win. And I think measuring success with a top two, top three finish is still appropriate in this case. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is uh, important for fans as well is, um, you know, I, I'm not like World Series or bust. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not big on that uh, fan wise. I, I feel like like if you're the Padres, man, you make the postseason this year and they don't they don't win the post. They won't win the World Series. There's got to be some love in that series season for you. You know, what I mean, it's been a been a tough road for a while, you know, to just even get back to the postseason. Maybe you can say like this is step one. But um, I think what makes it tough in our leagues is um, we're 
I would say generally the the great way to go and win dynasty leagues is mostly to fade prospects and to try and win now. Uh, and people overvalue prospects and overvalue youth. I think generally. Um, however, when you look at the stars of the game, the very top stars of the game, so many of them were top prospects. You know, and so if there's just any way that you can hold on to somebody that might be a top five prospect and sell everything else that's the kind of that's the golden rule i'm trying to the, the the sort of threading the needle as the gms say that's the threading the needle i'm trying to get to because you know you will find like i have in devil's rejects that sometimes the middle ground just ends you up at sort of seventh to third we kind of bounce around from seven to third every year because we're always constantly selling prospects and trying to trying to win. Um, and that that cycle has not netted us any of the top ten prospects. You know, like we had another year where we're going to end up seventh or sixth, and uh, we have a a decent team, but it's getting older. And um, our top prospects are Matt Mervis, uh, Matt Mervis and <laughs> that's well, hold on. That's Let me find another one. Matt Mervis, a junior Caminero. I don't know. I don't even know who that is really. Um, we uh, Spencer Steer just graduated, so yeah, our our top prospects were Matt Mervis and Spencer Steer. So it's just one of those things where over the course of the year you sell and you sell and you sell, and you just don't have a top prospect. Now, do you? I I, I just don't have the stomach sometimes. Like we do sell at the end of the year, we'll sell, you know, if we're out of it and we'll sell a guy, but we'll sell, you know, a reliever and, a, you know, an old outfielder and just try and get, you know, a couple guys. And really what I should do is uh, next year, consider selling Ozzy Albies, you know, and JTL Rumundo and maybe even putting them in a package and being like, Hey, I'm going to put together Ozzy Albies and JTL Rumundo and I want your Corbin Carroll and you know another couple of really good prospects and that seems to that seems to really work for some people i've never had the stomach to do it like for example in my auto new leagues i had one of the worst years and i should have probably sold trey turner um and you know who's my who's my other uh i don't know i should have sold trey turner instead i sold around the edges uh, and I did manage to put together a pro- prospect package of, I have Ezekiel Tovar, uh, Robert Hassel III, Ellie De La Cruz, and Pete Crow Armstrong. That's okay. It's a 12-team league, though. That's, it's, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of my, of my Devil Rejects you know, prospect squad. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like a, there's not, I don't think there's a top five prospect in there. I think there has to be, just we've said this before, you have to have a clear sense of direction in a long-term league. And I just want, I don't have the patience. I always want to win next year. I want to build a good team for this year, this coming year. You have to ask your your questions in a different sort of way. You have to look at the quality of the teams that are trying to win right now. Are the teams that did long-term rebuilds playing for a title this year? And can you, with older players, veteran players, the easier to acquire players in a league like that, can you compete with those teams and how many teams are there is there one potential powerhouse playing for right now or are there three if there are three i would argue that you have to play more for a future season 
if it's only one, you have to consider the possibility that a couple of injuries, a couple underperformers, a couple of things can go wrong for that team that played for the long future, even though that's like from a... Those numbers are bigger for the 20-team league, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. It's four or five teams probably in a 20-team league, and at least at least two at a minimum should be playing for a title that are long-term should builders. should be like two potential super teams in a 20-team league if you're assuming a usual sort of group of, of players. Uh-huh. But I do think the number of teams contending right now that have that long-term rebuild, that should probably help you decide if it's time to play for a future year or if you should keep at playing for the current ones. It's not easy because in XFL, Doug Dennis, just to use this league as an example again, 15-team league. And this, it's a league that uses salaries. So you know minor league players that you had or traded for increase really slowly. So he has this core. Bo Bichette, Rafael Devers, Acuna, Tatis, Eloy Jimenez, Jeez. Albies, and I mean, he's got prospects now too. 15-team league? 15-team league. So he's, it's a really well-built team. Obviously, there were a lot of injuries within that group this year. So this was not a year where I think he expected to contend and quickly realized, nope, I've got to get some more future value and I'm going to go for it again next year. The pitching, I think he might have had older pitching that he traded away because the pitching is not loaded up quite the same way. But the point is, like, you you can have a what look, that looked like a juggernaut team on paper a year ago in the offseason, going into this season. And it didn't end up playing out that way, which is yeah. wild. But if you see two or three teams that are like that, you're probably better off looking to a future window a year or two down the road. If your own core, you know, is older and not nearly as deep as something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you, there's always uh, league dynamics, like we've been saying earlier about other leagues, like, um, you know, in Devil's Rejects, uh, like I, it's very low likelihood that the guy with Corbin Carroll would even give me Corbin Carroll. <laughs> you run into that problem a lot of times too. How even if I did offer up JT Romuto and Ozzy Alves, you know, they might be like. Nah, but their know. situation, like they just because they've got one of the best prospects in baseball, they might be a year or two away. So trading, making that trade right, the timing has to work, and the willingness has to be there. They have to see enough value in what you're offering to be willing to trade a player like that. All those conditions have to be right. How many teams in your league clutch prospects? I mean, maybe rightfully so because of the long-term value and and all those mm-hmm. factors. But if the league as a whole is too clingy to prospects, then maybe you should play it the way you are, where you're always trying to play for right now. Because if you're consistently finishing top six, top seven out of 20 teams and you've been even getting as high as third, all it's going to take is the year where a couple of extra injuries, a couple things break your way, and you end up winning. And you didn't you didn't wait three years of not contending to get that chance, which I think is a lot more fun. If you can just keep playing, keep playing. If you have to tear yeah. it down, then accept it and do it the right way. But the first, if you gave me a choice, what would you rather do? I'd rather be in the position you described where I can just keep trying to find long-term value, but also play more for now because that's the... That's the best way I can play. Yeah. Yep. It's uh it's been a tough year for me in my dynasty leagues, just generally, and I I think I might need I'm gonna take at least one of them and be like, okay, I'm gonna try a full rebuild over here. Just one of them. <laughs> it's a special set of skills. 
I, I think. I mean, Tom Trudeau is the name that comes in my head every single time when uh, when I think about someone who's always like, buying and selling. But he's he's, he does a good job. It's a it. volume thing too. It's just being willing yeah, to. It's, and I can't. I don't have the time in my life, man. I got so many leagues. I don't have the time to put together that many. I do. I have an interesting uh, in Fangraph staff. Um, I was an okay team, and then I, it, uh, it ended up uh, falling apart on me with Trevor Story. Um, Marte, O'Neill, Loriano, Chris Bryant, like they all just got hurt. And, you know, um, I put together a prospect pool of Aranda, Noel V. Marte, Jordan Lawler, Ellie De La Cruz, and Miguel Vargas. Same seems pretty good. And they're all a dollar or two. So, and I feel like they're all pretty close. So, uh, the big thing for me is just going to be deciding on like a $30 Trevor story, you know, you know, maybe I should just, maybe I should just be really aggressive and cut him. Even though I have a cheap Austin Riley, a, a mid price Jose Ramirez as my core, uh, and some pretty good players around it. Like maybe just cut Trevor story, get that money back, uh, and be a little bit more cutthroat, maybe cut Chris Bryant, even though he's only 20 bucks, you know, like just just be like in Ottawa, just be a little bit more like in those years where you think you're close, you keep a $25, $30 veteran that, you know, is going to bounce back because you know, in the, in the auction, he'll go for that. But in a league where you think maybe this isn't going to be my year and I'm taking a step back, then you clean up and you're a little bit tighter on the prices. Um, That's sort of where I'm at right now in the decision-making process. Yeah. There's also the trade aspect of how much are you going to get back in a deal for Bryant, a healthy Bryant in the middle of next season. What is he likely to get you in a trade versus if you take that money and spread it out over a couple of roster spots, do you find more long-term keepers that way? Or do you find better players to trade that way? Are the 10 and $12 players you potentially get back from the auction going to give you more long-term value one way or another than, than Bryant does via trade. And maybe I can learn a little bit by putting my $1 Josh Naylor and the $22 Chris Bryant on the, on the roster, on the trade block this off season. That's right. There's the block. I got to play see, auto new. I really do. If somebody, if somebody comes to me with something interesting for Naylor, then I'd be like, okay, that's a warning sign. And nobody's talking to me at all about Chris Bryant. You know, even the contenders that could use a $20, you know, CIOF, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that tells me something. And I cut Chris Bryant too. I think I'm going to have, if I had 10 leagues next year, I think I'll have Bryant on two or three teams. Colorado, man. If you just had a healthy year, I, yeah, that's why he's on my team here. But, uh, yeah, I think you'd be uh, right to throw him you back. You only have 10, 10 leagues. <laughs> I'm just I'm just putting a number out there, a nice round number to give you a... a I'm going to try and count here real quick. I got one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, my God. How many leagues do I have in NFPC? So I've got six plus an NFPC. I have three, six, seven. That's 13, 14. Okay, 14. Yeah. I've been trying to cut. This is trying to cut. 14 is trying to cut. I have eight NFBC. I have two that are on on Roto. I've got one more that's on RT Sports. And then I've got three on CBS. So I've got 14 right now. No, I've got a Yahoo ah. one too. I have 15. Ah, uh, 15. Winner. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> that's right. 
That's right. <laughs> that is actually one of the things that's uh, kind of sad about experts leagues is there's this pressure to join. You you like the people, you know. There's a you're either advocating for your site or uh, it's a, a group. Maybe it'll be publicized or you know it's uh you, you're always like oh join my league it has this quirk and you're like oh that sounds interesting I could learn from that you know. <laughs> And then, uh, and then you realize, oh my God, I have 15 teams, like how leagues, how am I going to spend time on all of them? And I think that's actually maybe the, the, the six NFBC teams are the main reason my, uh, my dynasty league suffered this year. Could be more attention going into those, especially with the, the bigger buy-in for something like the main event. There's money on these things. And then also just the, the, the work of NFBC is ongoing. You have to look at it. Uh, to set lineups on Fridays, so you have to set, you have to look at it on Wednesday and Thursday to set lineups on Fridays. Then you have to kind of do some in-week fab work so that you're not doing it all on Sunday. Then you have to get back to it on Sunday. Then you have to set lineups Monday. It's a lot of work for you know these leagues, uh, and so you just sort of set the dynasty and you're like, oh, I'll look at those on Tuesday or something. And then on Tuesday you're like, well, I you know I actually have some work to do. So I've, so I've started to wonder about this in the last couple of years because I've been lucky enough, you know, I got invited to Tout Wars, I think about 10 years ago now. So I've been in it for a little while. I've been in labor for nearly as long and I've had some success in both of those leagues. I kind of wonder like what, what keeps me coming back every year, given all those other factors, right? I mean, life gets busier. We play other formats. You play leagues for money. You start to decide... I don't want to spend as much time on fab anymore because I have other parts of my life that I feel like on, on Sunday afternoon, I'd like to go do this instead, whatever that thing is. Doesn't, it could be pickleball. It could be spending time with family. There's no, there's no right or wrong answer. So like, what motivates you? What keeps you coming back to a league like that? Because for me, it's so far, it's just been, I know other people have won three, four, five, six times in some of those leagues. So I keep coming back because if I play long enough, maybe I can win three, four, five, six times. But okay, so what what if I match them someday? What if I what if I catch Larry Schechter or Tristan Cockroft or Fred Zinke or Derek Cardi? Any anybody who's won those leagues more than I've won them, what happens if I do pass them? Do I just say, I'm good now? I mean, it's a little bit like the it's the Tom I'm Brady about problem. The players. Yeah, it's like what what now? In professional sports in, in our lifetime, this is uh, to me, Tom Brady might be the best example of the dude. Like, why are you still doing this? Like, what what do you have left to prove compared to anybody else? Well, it's like, you know, uh, why, why, you know, why with AL Labor well in hand, uh, am I still trying to get uh, that 117th point out of 120? Right. Because I want to set a record that will stand. So there's some of it is legacy building. You we want to build on your legacy. Some of it is uh, manufactured naysayers. We're like, well, some people will say it's just because I got Anthony Rizzo and Fab, <laughs> and it was a weird year, uh, and so I got to prove them wrong and win in a normal year. Um, you know, some of it is community. Yeah, it's some, that. That's to me. That's the other part of it. Labor. We go usually. I mean, we haven't in a little bit because of circumstances, but uh, usually we hang out. And, uh, and I really enjoy seeing some of the people that I see at labor. Um, so, you know, if, if the community starts falling apart, uh, you know, that's when you start to see like why, you know, real sort of, why am I in this league sort of discussions? And I think, uh, honestly, in some of my honor new leagues, um, 
Sometimes I feel uh, that I wish there was a, a little bit more active community. Uh, at the same time, my uh, I've got a bunch of second and third place finishes in those, so uh, much more likely for me to want to win it and quit it than, <laughs> than to than to just uh, admit defeat. You know, so I'm I'm still searching for my first auto new win, which is just awful to admit. Still love the 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 the, the, the platform, uh, and uh, uh, still feel like I can do it. But I, I I haven't yet tried the full rebuild, so I think it'll be an auto new that I try one of those full rebuilds. I think the friendship is in this case the the other part of all of this. That's like, well, I, I don't even think twice about it. I play in these leagues any chance I get because of, of that. Uh, I have also thought after a certain number of years. Given that there's a very limited number of spaces in these leagues, if you've had your turn for X number of years, should you consider giving up your spot and letting someone else play in that league? Just because like, why why should I be in the league for 25 years? Like that doesn't seem I'm not criticizing anyone who's been there from the beginning. No, I, I mean, I think about it in, in terms of labor because it's me and Ian Connor, you know, two guys from the athletic. <laughs> and I've been in there for ten plus. Sure, years, yeah, so but yeah, one per one per site. We're or, already represented, you know. Like maybe I should just take a step back. So, so well, anyway, all, all the things that cross my mind this time of year, and it's exciting. Of course, if you're playing for a championship this weekend, good luck as oh, you yeah, good luck battle it out. It's not just this weekend; it's into next week. That's so weird. I'm so used to that first Monday coming out of the just weekend. Like three days next week, you know. Oh, and my keeping Julio Rodriguez <laughs> it worked out. I was beating myself up over that, thinking it was just sentimentality, and he's coming back Monday. So hey, see, it's all it's all coming up, you know, right now. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Let's not talk about all the misses. Well, we'll we'll get to those. That that's that's what October <laughs> is for. But uh, that's right. We're gonna do some reviews. We're gonna do hits and misses by. It looks like we're gonna do hits and misses by position. Is gonna be what we do during the playoffs. I think that matches up well with uh, you know adding some extra news, but during the playoffs. Yeah. So that is what we have coming up around the corner. Good luck the rest of the way. We will have an episode early next week. I don't know if we've settled on an off-season schedule. It's going to be probably one a week for October. So it might be Tuesday instead of Monday. We'll talk about that. But you'll get an episode from us next week. If you've got a question for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the email address. On Twitter, Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic and you'd like to get one, they're a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we're back with you next week thanks for listening 